This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. All right, let's move on to our next segment that I will call Tank the North. <laughs> okay, so I think we get it that they're 3-10. and 10, And coming out of Sunday's loss to the Packers, my biggest question about Matt Eberflus, the head coach, and his game day operation was, what in the heck are you doing calling a timeout uh, with 30 seconds to go in the first half and on fourth down and giving the Packers time to regroup? So I have questions about his game day operation that tend to come up, but let's face it. We don't know a lot about Matt Eberflus still, and he will get largely a pass this year. Yeah. As will Ryan Poles. Yep. But I think that we're, are we setting people up? Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all of this draft capital they have and the growth in Justin Fields and voila, playoff contender. I don't know, Dan. I don't know if it's that easy. That's what it feels like people are setting themselves up for. And I think hopefully we can talk reason into some folks to understand how difficult that is. It's almost as if, David, people think they've been given basically all this money to spend and the doors to the store open and they're the only ones in there, right? And they're the only ones that get an opportunity to get better. They're the only ones that just get the shop off the shelves of the free agency. They're the only ones that get the pick in the draft and that they're just going to hit on every single one of these acquisitions that they make in 2023. It's really interesting you bring up the Matt Eberflus decision at the end of the first half to call that timeout with 23 seconds left, which then allowed the Packers to reset, call a play, and they ended up hitting it for the touchdown, which got him back in the game right before halftime. And I asked Matt Eberflus after the game what was behind that, and he said, I, I was trying to force their hand. And in the moment, post game, it was like, okay, uh, and then I got home, I'm driving, I'm like, what, what did he mean by that? And I don't think I've ever figured it out. I what do you mean? <laughs> force their hand what? And I think it was just a miss calculation and it was a misplay and it was one of those decisions that in a different season with bigger stakes and a bigger spotlight on things people would be raving about this until friday but instead it's like oh well justin had a couple huge plays right and and, and had another 50 yard plus touchdown run and, and hope feels much better than that anxiety so let's just keep our focus there to the point about how this sets expectations for next year it's just like if you are rooting for three and fourteen and you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers in this building by the time they report to training camp in, in uh, July. I just don't know what fantasy land that is. And I'm really worried that if the Bears next year at this time are five and eight and they're scuffling a little bit and Justin hasn't cleared some of the hurdles that we're asking him to clear and the coach is still making some odd decisions and the defensive depth isn't there and they're not taking the ball away and the pressure isn't there, the people are going to be in this state of absolute outrage when, in my opinion right now, looking in my crystal ball 12 months down the road, that's probably the likely road we're going to be sitting at in December of 2023. So I think that when Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus took over, they had more talent than they do now because they have, For traded, sure. they have traded away a lot of talent. They have kind of thinned through the, or shedded the roster of a lot of the, the bigger salaries. Um, you had fewer questions about the roster. 
But the biggest one was about the quarterback, and you needed that to get answers. So I think you know, we fast forward. Here we are the first week in December. I think that you have answered the most difficult question about your roster. You feel good about your quarterback in terms of he's our guy. There really is no departure from that conclusion. He's their guy. And I understand why they would dive into that. But the fact of the matter is, is you're kind of saying, and what I what I think you're saying and we agree on, they have more questions than they did when they got here. And there are more questions throughout the roster at certain positions that are key positions that are going to be as easy to answer as this idea about them tanking and rebuilding imply. So what you do is when you get to the offseason, you're not necessarily starting over because you have answered the most difficult question, but you've got a long way to go. And it's not going to be easy to get there. So I think that we do need to recalibrate at the end of the season and four more games, whatever that means, and look at it with a sober view because I do think that, you know, I, I want I would like to see precedent for an NFL team that tanks and then wins. I know they exist in hockey and in baseball and in the NBA even, but this isn't those sports. This is very different. The NFL is unique. Uh, it is uh, we're addicted to the NFL for a reason. It's different than the other sports. And I just want to see what is the example? Where is the model that you're following where you're going to bottom out and then climb back? And, oh, by the way, next season we're in the playoffs. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but I don't know that it isn't. I just I think people need to understand that it's not going to be as easy as it's designed. Oh, by the way, the Lions are suddenly on the come. Right. <laughs> They're getting hot late in the 2022 season and costing themselves draft status. And they'll probably go out and get a new quarterback here at some point. And now all of a sudden they're going to have their hope tank filling. And so there's there's other other teams that are going to be trying to to climb the same ladder that you're trying to climb while trying to pull your leg off that same ladder that you're you're trying to climb. I, I, I was I went back and looked at this earlier today because I was curious because Bill Polian was brought in here as a consultant late last year to advise uh, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips on what to do with their team at the end of the 2021 season. And basically what he identified was that the bears had only six to eight blue chippers on their roster. And he told George and Ted that you need 10 to 12 to be even uh, thought of as a championship contender. Right? So at the time they had six to eight, which meant they were four to, to six shy, right, of, of, of being a championship contender. And then they subtracted Khalil Mack, and then they subtracted Robert Quinn, and then they subtracted Roquan Smith, and then they subtracted Allen Robinson. And who are the blue chippers that they've added? Have they added a single blue chip player since they've gotten here? No. Okay. Was, so now they've set themselves of several blue chip players. You just may, I, I know. And so if we're identifying guys that could potentially be blue chip players, you would say, hopefully Justin becomes that guy. He's not that guy yet. He certainly looks like the guy on the roster that has the most potential to be. Eddie Jackson probably could fit in that list if he's playing the brand of football that he was playing he was for here. the first 10 games of this season. He was here. Uh, both, both those guys were here. Right. So that's my point. So at what point do you get eight to nine to 10 other ones rolling through your door in one offseason? This is going to take years plural to get the, the, the talent replenishment and the depth replenishment and the playmaking replenishment that you need to be taken seriously uh, in this business. And I just, I, I think that that field's fever has been so, so intense 
for so many people that they are, are, you know, unknowingly setting themselves up for a really, really hard fall in 2023 when expectations aren't met. And as I've said a couple of times, well, what does that mean then? If those expectations aren't met, it's not like the people inside this building are immune to what happens in the outside world. All of a sudden there, there, there becomes this tension and this strain in the outside world that, that, ups the the intensity on what you're trying to build and that's going to be felt by justin fields it's going to be felt by ryan poles it's going to be felt by maddie reflux it's going to be felt by the leaders of this football team and so it's just like it's really interesting to see how the acceptance of failure in 2022 is so just in conflict with this belief that 2023 is going to be some dream rise i i don't think that it's impossible but i don't think it's likely I think in the NFL, anything is possible. Of course. Because they have a, a player that, you know, can can change the game on any given snap. But I do think that what you what, what I anticipate is they're going to go into the offseason and they're going to focus heavily on giving Justin Fields the weapons that he needs to to take that next step in his game. And what's going to happen, I, I, I just – predict, I guess, as we sit here in the first week of December, that the defense is going to continue to be somewhat neglected, perhaps, and they're going to try to maybe um, focus on the offense in spite of the glaring defensive need on the front seven. And I just think you're going to end up with a, with a football team that's very exciting to watch, but with a defense that can't stop anybody. And maybe that's what they want. And maybe that's too early to project, but I I don't know if you're going to win a championship that way. You might win a lot of more um, fans that way because it reflects more more the the modern NFL. But I I don't know. I I always believe you you build a football team from the football out. And I just don't know if the Bears are going to approach it that way because I don't know that we know Ryan Poles well enough to predict. Yeah, no, but I do think that we know Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus well enough to know that they won't let defense become an afterthought. I do think that that Ryan Poles is sharp enough to understand that right. in the trenches is something that he has to prioritize. As a former offensive line, he knows what that battle up front means to the success of football teams. And so I think they will uh, put a, a priority on, on on getting some real difference makers in the middle of their defensive line, right, and, and trying to make sure that happens and, and, and figure out where they go. Uh, it's just it's going to be fascinating because there's so much heavy lifting to be done in the offseason of 2023 for you and I. This is tremendous stuff because there have been a lot of offseasons that are boring. This one is going to have people talking from the day the season ends until the day that the draft is over. And then for for two months beyond uh, who they pick in the draft, because there's so much intrigue about who all these new faces are going to be on this roster and who these potential, uh, you know, firework playmaking sparks are going to be for this team. It's going to be it's going to be a really fun offseason in a lot of ways. And I'm actually looking forward to digging in on draft prospects and free agency options and figuring out what is practical, what is reasonable, and then trying for our audience anyway, a really smart audience, the smartest Bears podcast audience in the business, as you know, uh, just setting them up for to have realistic expectations of where this thing should head. Last thing along those lines before we move on, I think everybody should go read Brad Biggs and the 10 Thoughts in the ChicagoTribune.com because I know it's the first week in December. But he raised a very interesting point. If you do pay, a college, pay attention to college football, and I, and I think most of our audience probably does. I know you do. I know we both do. This is not the year where there's going to be necessarily a run on quarterbacks in the top 10. This is not a year that it appears 
as we sit here right now where there's going to be a plethora of choices at the position. This isn't 2017. This isn't 2021. This is going to be 2023, and there's going to be three guys that may be top 10 caliber, but I don't know, besides Bryce Young, if there's a consensus that the other two potential top 10 guys are without flaws or potential flaws and won't take some time. How does that affect the Bears? Well, if you're in the top five, as it appears the Bears will, the idea was, the assumption is, well, you know, they're going to be able to, to, to hold an auction for that number two pick and get whatever the Dolphins got or get whatever the Niners got. I think that Brad addresses this, and he talks to a lot of people around the league, as you know. I don't know that that's a given. So it's very conceivable that all this hand-wringing about whether the Bears are second or fifth or 11th or sixth or wherever, that they may stand pat after all because the quarterback group isn't special and they may end up going after a guy like Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, who may be great defensive rookies next year. And we'll be talking about them a year from now, like, God, I'm so glad they got him. But that means they kept the pick. And then all this other uh, conversation about, well, they need to stay put so they can have a get a king's ransom for that pick makes it kind of a moot point at that point. So I think it's something to keep an eye on. Don't forget also that their number two pick in the second round, which is actually the number one pick equivalent because the Dolphins don't have a first-round yeah. pick this year, and number two in the second round is number 33 overall, belongs to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they won't even have that pick to make. They're going to have to wait for the Ravens' second-round pick to choose in round two. Uh, and, that, yeah, so Chase Claypool, pressure's on you, buddy, to to, to, to start uh, bring, bringing that uh, return on investment along sooner rather than later as well. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot ahead of this team. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel hopeful about where Justin Fields has gone this season and where he can go in the future. And then it's very, very reasonable to say, Holy moly, look at what all they have to do. I'll tell you this, that when we get a breather, uh, when the season ends, there's going to be some fun exercises for us to go through as we look at drafts historically and, and can give our audience some indications on, on why the hand-wringing and, and uh, you know hair-pulling over where you pick in the draft ultimately five years, ten years down the road doesn't necessarily turn into what true high-level championship success looks like.